0: Amen. Thanks, Jessica. Good morning, guys. Everybody is back from Thanksgiving, fatter and happier, I presume. I you know, it was just something that like crossed my mind during this last week is like, man, like we are so blessed to have someone to give thanks to. Because like how meaningless is it? Like, you know, our the whole culture is like, yeah, gratitude, gratitude, mindfulness, this, that, the other, right? But like if you have no one to direct it to, like, what's the point? So just, just so thankful to the Lord for who he is. Um, so this morning, we're jumping back into the life of David. Um, and I'm actually going to have uh, Daniel come up and read the passage for us. But turn with me, if you will, to First Samuel um, chapter 25.
1: First Samuel 25. Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him, and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now there was a man in man whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and a 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Then the name of the man was Nabal, and is the name of his wife Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace be, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them, all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand, to your servants and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back. And they came and told him all these words. Then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David. And two hundred stayed with the supplies. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us, both by night and day, all the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore, know and consider what you will do, Harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five sayas of roasted grain, one hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, Go on before me, see I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was as she rode on a donkey. As she went down under cover of the hill, and there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has done, has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him, and he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so, and more also, to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my lord, on me let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears, and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my lord whom you sent, now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present to which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord. And evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the, in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass, when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, "'Unless he had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. "'So David received from her hand what she had brought him, and said to her, "'Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person.' "'Now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was, holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. "'And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. "'Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light.' So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him and he became like a stone. Then it happened after about 10 days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died.
0: Amen. Thanks, Daniel. Um, so quite... um quite a story here so what's crazy about this passage is that like what one thing i want us to catch is that last week joseph shared the story in the previous chapter where david had an opportunity to kill saul in the cave when saul's doing his business and he resisted that opportunity right he was like this close got a little piece of his garment and then immediately regretted it and repented and now like like, it's so interesting, because in this, you know, in the, like, just just right before this, David had carried his heart so well before God that he's like, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. Like, I don't care what you did to me, you're God's anointed king, so I'm not going to take your life into my hands. Um, And David, you know, viewed Saul not in terms of Saul's actions towards David, but he viewed Saul in terms, terms of God's, like, anointing over his life. um, And... But now we see, like, in this particular situation, like, David is not doing so hot, right? He does not respond as well in this situation. And I, I like, I can't help but wonder a little bit if, you know, you guys catch at the beginning of this chapter, it starts off with, and Samuel died. Like, David, like, have you guys ever been in a situation where you're like, it's just like thing after thing after thing, and like, it's just pounding on you, wearing at you, and you're holding it together, holding it together, holding it together, and then all of a sudden somebody does something small, and it's just like, ah, like, you just explode on them. I've never done that, right? (laughs) Some of you are looking at me like, I remember the last time you did that to me, (laughs) um, But, like, David, like, he's, you know, he's lost everything. Somebody's been trying to kill him. He's, like, lost his wife. His family's in jeopardy. And, like, now Samuel dies. Like, the man that spoke God's destiny over him that he would go to for comfort is gone. Like, Samuel is gone. And he doesn't have that anymore. And, like, be it for that reason or another, for whatever reason, like, David's had all he can take. And he just loses it when Nabal is disrespectful to him. And that's like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. And so, like, I I love just looking at the humanity of David in this situation because he, like, he really, like, by the time, like, Abigail comes to meet him, he's actually fuming down the road. Like, he is ranting, and she can hear it. Like, he's like, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to kill them all. Like, this is what Abigail encounters, and this is, like, this is the man of God. Like, this is David on a bad day, right? Um. And so I just, I want us to, to kind of just keep that in mind that like David, you know, in this particular situation, he's just had one victory where he didn't kill Saul. And now he, in, in essence, he almost, he has a very close call with a tremendous like failure or loss. Um, so let's look at um, Abigail's response, because I think this is like, in all practicality, like, Abigail just models the wisdom and the humility of Jesus that, like, we can honestly stand to learn from when we're dealing with each other, when we're angry and offended. But um, Abigail acts in this situation as an intercessor. And, you know, so David comes down the road. The road, He's fuming mad. He's saying, I'm going to kill them all. and And Abigail actually falls at his feet, like, in humility. Like, she doesn't stand as, like, like, a defense, like, she knows, like, she has no chance to stop David, like, apart from God's intervention, and in humility, she falls at his feet, and she actually acknowledges that her husband's a worthless fool, like, she doesn't try to, like, downplay his sin, she doesn't try to excuse it, she's actually, like, yeah, he's an idiot, like, I'm very sorry that he, like, I didn't know that he did that to you, and I'm so sorry, like, what he did was wrong, and but not only does she acknowledge uh, Nabal's sin, but she actually takes the blame upon herself. She's like, let it be on me, my Lord. Like, like how many of you guys would take the blame for someone else's wrong? Like, I'm, I, like, it's hard enough sometimes for us to even own up to our own sin and our own shortcomings and failures. Like, let alone be like, you know what? He did wrong. Like, But, like, I'll take the blame for it. I'll take the fall for it. In many ways, like, Abigail is, is really displaying Christ here in the humility of the Lord. But, um, beyond that, what I love is that when she speaks to David, she actually offers us like some keys in, in way that she approached him, gives us some insight into things that help us. Like she, the way that she approached him gives us some insight into things that help us. Like when we, the way that she approached him gives us some insight into things that help us. Like when we are offended to not take vengeance into our own hands, because you have to keep in mind, like Nabal was very wealthy like he was super wealthy the sheep shearing thing only happened twice a year and it was a time of great profit because you're selling all that wool like he is making bank on whatever he's doing and David has been defending and protecting the land and David asks him for a small favor and he's like who are you who are you? Like, I don't like you're, you broke off from your master. Like I know about you and Saul, like not being on good terms. Like, I don't know you. I'm not blessing you. I'm not giving you anything. Like he has a terrible attitude towards David, but here's what helps David from the mouth of Abigail is that Abigail actually points out two things is one. She appeals to the fear of God. She appeals to the fear of God because she's, she's telling David, like, don't let there be blood on your hands. Like, don't sin before the Lord. Like, when God puts you in that position of power, he promised he would. Like, you don't want to get there with this guilt on you. And so she appeals to the the fear of the Lord that David would have a clean heart before God. And the second thing that she appeals to is she actually, like, reminds David, like, God promised this kingship to you like, no one is going to take that from you, like, like, when God raises you up, like, when he deals with your enemies, and she actually reminds him, like, hey, like, you don't have to take vengeance into your hands, like, actually, like, please don't, because God is faithful to you, because you're fighting his battles, and, like, he's the one that's going to exalt you, and there's no man that can get in the way of that, and So by doing this, like Abigail and humility actually offers both correction and encouragement to David because it's like like he's getting a strong rebuke here, but it's done in such a humble way that like he actually like comes away from it like humbled and encouraged of like, all right, you're right, like, thank you. Like you saved me from a really horrible thing. And like, if you hadn't stopped me, like I would have done this, like I would have killed them all. And he comes away feeling edified and it, it actually helps to restrain him. And Abigail um, winds up saving her entire household because of this. So what's, what's even more uh, astonishing or terrifying, I think, is that like David, like he decides to humble himself at Abigail's rebuke. He decides he's not gonna take vengeance into his own hands and then within you know, less than two weeks, Nabal is dead. Like the Lord actually strikes him dead. Like, and that, that's, that's a terrifying thing that like, like that kind of makes me wonder, like what would have happened if David had decided to kill all of their household? Like, what if he had gone through with it? What if he hadn't left justice to the Lord? Like what would God have done then? Because now God is not dealing with Nabal. He's dealing with David and David's sin, Right. Um, so that that just I don't know that just gives me the fear of the Lord to see how quickly the Lord responded to David so like we mentioned so last week you know in first Samuel 24 we see in these like three chapters back to back to back that David has three opportunities to take vengeance into his own hands or to not like to leave it to the Lord and in one situation he does really well like last week he doesn't kill Saul in the cave as he's going to the bathroom this week he almost blows it all like he does like he chooses very poorly and then praise the lord god intervenes and david humbles down right um so by the grace of god abigail stops david in his tracks and he turns from his sin next week we're going to see that that david when he has another opportunity to take vengeance into his own hands he actually chooses better this next time and he learns from this previous like incident um which we'll we'll tie back into, um, later on, but what, what helps us to refrain from taking vengeance into our own hands? Like that, that when we feel like we've been wronged or offended, and it's not even sometimes just a feeling, sometimes it's actually legitimate. Like sometimes people have, have very much done us wrong. They're like taking advantage, slandering, whatever it may be in the situation. Like, um, how do we choose to not take vengeance into our own hands and we learned from Abigail that there's two things here there's one thing that helps our hearts is having the fear of the Lord Um, and the second thing is we have trust in God's promises and in his nature to bring forth justice and vengeance in his own ways in his own time like recognizing that he does it in ways that we just can't like I can't bring forth perfect vengeance or perfect justice I have too much sin right if I take it into my own hands, it's ugly. Um, and and uh, this is, I think this is important because, like, David, like, he, as we said earlier, like, he wasn't relating to Saul on the basis of, this guy's trying to kill me. Like, that's not how he's looking at Saul. He's looking at Saul and saying, you are God's anointed. Like, you're his chosen king. Like, how hard is that? You know, if somebody's, like, constantly trying to, like, pursue your life, they're doing damage again and again and again. And, and you don't look at them in terms of what they're doing to you. You actually look at them in terms of, like, what is their relationship to God? Like, that's how we're called to relate to people. And that helped David to have the fear of the Lord. But the second thing is that, that it's not just, it's, it's a fear of the Lord and that, like, man, like, I don't want, I don't care whatever sin you've got going on over there. I don't want that creeping into my heart because I am just as subject to that same spirit of murder or of rage or of this or that. Like there's a fear of the Lord that actually helps us to be like, you know what? Like I don't you did me wrong, but like I for the sake of my own heart, not being bound up in that bitterness or that iniquity. I don't want to go down that path like that fear of the Lord keeps us from evil and. Um, And then recognizing that it's God, like it's in his hands to give justice. And so it's up to him to raise up, tear down, give us the kingdom, give us blessings, give us promotion, whatever, like whatever it may be like that comes from the Lord, not from man. It really comes from the Lord and not from man. Um, And we see that Jesus walked this out perfectly in first Peter 21 For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And it's just so comforting to me to think that Jesus actually had to entrust himself to God for vengeance and for justice. Like at all that he endured from the hands of man. Um, And so how much more do we have to trust the overseer of our souls and to continue entrusting ourselves to the one that judges justly? So the second thing I really want to... draw our attention to today is that something that really struck me from this passage is that our yes and when I say yes I mean just you choosing to obey or seek after or follow God like our yes to the Lord is not just this kind of like one and done thing like it's something that we have to give him again and again and again and again because David's yes to obeying Jesus and choosing his ways in the cave when he didn't kill Saul that yes was not enough for Nabal, right? Like, it wasn't, it didn't, like, it didn't, um, it may have helped him, because when we say no to God again, and again, and again, that it is so much harder to turn that ship. It's hard, so it does matter, but we have to continually be saying yes to the Lord in each situation, and in each season. Like, we're never going to get to a point where we don't have to keep putting something on the altar, and um I think you know when I think of this like you know we're told in the Bible that like sin is like crouching at our door that the devil is always looking to devour us like there's I, I feel convicted that if we're not in an active struggle against some kind of sin we're probably backsliding a little bit like if there's not something that you are actively making war on in your own heart and mind I would I would pose it to you that that you may not be doing as well as you think in that in in certain areas, um, and this is this is convicting because there's, um, because sin is such a strong pull and such a strong current. Johnny actually would remember this. There was a time when I was in we were in Taiwan and the mission team went out swimming at this beach that was, you know, nearby, a really beautiful beach, but they've got all these signs out cuz they have rip tides and currents that you really have to pay attention to because people drown there all the time. And of course, the stupid Americans are like, ah, you know, like I can swim and Lo and behold, you know, we're out in the water and I get sucked out way further than than I realized because I'm not really I'm just kind of floating and then all of a sudden I look up and I'm like, ooh, the shore is a very, very far <laughs> way away. And I realize like I'm like, I'm in trouble because I can no longer like fight this current that has pulled me out. And I was like, ooh, this is bad. And the lifeguard actually had to come out and like get us. But here's the thing about the current is that like if you're just passive like I was and you're just floating there and you're just enjoying yourself, like you get sucked out. Like it's moving somewhere. There are currents inside of us and around us in the world and none of them are going to pull you towards God. Not a single one. The current that's in your own soul, your own heart and your mind, it's going to pull you towards iniquity. The current that's in the world and that's in the culture, like it's raging against God. Like If you are not fighting that, you are not gaining ground. You're actually going to get sucked out in a really bad way. Um, There's like holiness doesn't come naturally and it does not come passively. And so I love this uh, passage from 1 Corinthians and Paul is appealing to, he's, you know, reminding people that were in the wilderness and that saw the glory of God. He says, for I do not want you to be unaware brothers that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. You know, they all, you know, ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink. He's saying, look, you have all experienced the same goodness of God. Like you've all seen his hand. You've all seen it. Like you've all touched it. You've all tasted it. But then he goes on to warn them, um, and he says like look like they they fell into immorality idolatry they put Christ to the test and in verse 11 it says now some things now these things happen to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come interesting therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man god is faithful And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. Um, and yeah, like, I, I think it's so, um, like Paul says here, like, look, this is common. Like what is overtaking you is actually very common. Like it's so common to man. Um, but like there's there's a responsibility that we have of responding to the Lord every day, every day, every day, every season of our lives, every moment, because when we allow certain things to kind of grow in our hearts unchecked, like it doesn't go well. And I remember there's there's like one plot. some of you guys probably saw or smelled this, but there was a plot in the garden where there were all these what, what were they? They were called snake gourds or something like that. And they stunk, <laughs> like, I don't know why, but like something about this plant just, it stunk. And when you'd open the windows to the NPR, the snake gourd stench would like fill the NPR. And it was just, it was all bad. But the, the interesting thing is that like those those plants were planted in a raised bed with like probably a whole bunch of other squashes. I don't even know what else we planted in there, right? But it wasn't just snake gourds to my knowledge, but they took over. Like, I didn't tend the garden. Like, I didn't go out there and, like, kind of cut them back or keep them at bay until it was too late. And they had already taken over that raised bed and the one next to it. Like, it literally took over, like, half the garden and it just stunk up the place and I just fed them all to the chickens. <laughs> so, but that, like, but what, what I, I want to uh, recognize here is that, like, our hearts are gardens and, like, we're called to, to tend them. Like, we're called to tend them, and and it's so, like, in the same way that I'm like, man, like, if I, if I haven't looked at the garden in a while, like, I'm a little afraid to go out there and see what all's been happening in there. Because I'm like, man, there's, like, it's going to be so overgrown. There's going to be so many weeds. They're going to be as tall as I am. I'm going to have to dig them out with a shovel. Like, we want to deal with the little things in our hearts quickly before they get overgrown and we want to say yes to the Lord and not harden our hearts like while it's today like we don't want to harden our hearts to him um because like David like all of us are in a position where like you maybe did maybe like even this week or last year or in another season of your life you did so well with the Lord and you responded well to him like that doesn't guarantee or necessitate that you are in a good spot with him today um and so that's that's kind of what I wanted to to leave us with is that that's you know it's it's not um, a, a passive thing that we're called into. Uh, but lastly, I just want to um, kind of touch on real quick, like what is Jesus's prescription for this um, problem? And and one of it is that you know in the Sermon on the Mount we're called not just to resist sin but actually to walk in the opposite spirit of it and so what that means or what that looks like is he's telling us like look you know i'm sorry i went too far he said in matthew 5:38, he says you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but i say to you do not resist the one who is evil but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek turn to him the other also and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic Let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you what reward do you have do not even the tax collectors do the same and if you greet only your brothers what more are you doing than others do not even the gentiles do the same you therefore must be perfect as your father is as your heavenly father is perfect and like that is a that's a weighty and a hard thing that Jesus calls us to Like it's not even that you just like refuse bitterness or that you refuse vengeance, but actually that you bless and you go in the opposite direction. And that is one of the things that practically is a safeguard for our hearts and helps us like when we're struggling with anger or offense, like when you bless that person, like it actually like helps to weed that sin out of us so it doesn't keep growing. And instead, like it changes, it allows the Lord to change our hearts, like, um, I remember, you know, I was sharing the story with Brittany, actually, that one time I had a a manager who was a little bit challenging, and she was not everyone's favorite, Um, but when I was leaving that unit in the hospital, Priscilla actually told me, she's like, hey, you should get your boss a gift, and I was kind of like, a gift? Like, I'm like, I don't really want to give her a gift, I don't think, like, you know, we're not like super close necessarily, but but it was it was such a wise thing that she told me to do because actually like when I gave my manager a thank you note and a gift just for the time that you know we'd been able to work together, she cried. Like she actually cried, like this woman who was always like very stone faced and a little hard, you know, kind of harder around the edges. Like she she teared up and she was so moved by that. And but beyond that, like that's a good thing and I'm glad for it. But the bigger victory was that in my own heart. When I blessed her and I actually tied an action to it, like when I made it practical and tangible of not just like, okay, I'm not mad at her, I'm not offended, I'm not whatever, but like I actually bought her something and I actually wrote down nice words to her. <laughs> like like when I blessed her, it turned my heart. Like, we have to allow the Lord to actually turn our hearts so that when we're offended or we're hurt, like, it's not enough for us to just abstain from from that fuming anger because, like we said, like, there's a current, right? Your abstinence from anger is not enough to stop that current. Like, you have to actually go against it and swim in the other direction, and that looks like blessing. Um, and so, amen and amen. Um That is all today. So Joseph, if you can come on up for a time of response.